0: His pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish, and of those after them who approve their words. Why should I fear in days of adversity, when the iniquity of my foes surround me? It's a very interesting psalm to read. If you read it in its totality, there is a positive twist or conclusion to his findings. But this psalmist in his record of what what we've just read Asks very important questions that will connect and tie very nicely to our sermon today Which is this, is that in our earthly lives We tend to focus, of course, on earthly riches On earthly treasures On lives that seem like they're flourishing And that they're prosperous And that seems to be the life that we ought and want to have but, of course, Scripture teaches us that these are all fleeting things. Paul teaches us that it's all for naught. It's waste. It's trash. Where we ought to set our sights and, where we ought, and the life we ought to pursue is a life, of course, found in God. A life, of course, uh, that is eternal. And that is much better than anything that this temporal world and life can offer. So let's close our eyes for a moment. And as we come before God... And as we pray, let's silently in our hearts, make this our prayer, that Lord, we would not set our sights on the things below, but on the things above, on the things eternal, not on the things temporal. Let's take a moment to pray, and if needed, a prayer of repentance as we come before our holy God. Let's pray. in Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I want to draw your attention to the screen. I'd like to read to you question 73. We've done 73 straight, this is our 73rd straight week of going through the Shorter Catechism. Let me read to you question 73, which is simple. Which is the eighth commandment? We've obviously finished last week on the seventh. uh, And the eighth uh, commandment, the answer to this question reads, of course, the eighth commandment is thou shalt not steal perhaps one of the more famous of the Ten Commandments Uh, and we will of course in the following two weeks look at what is required and forbidden in the eighth commandment but it's quite simple isn't it thou shalt not steal stealing of course comes from and probably is very closely tied to one of the other commandments which is to not covet right that which is not yours and to steal is to take that which does not belong to you and there is of course rooted in that act uh, an immense heart of sin and we will look at the reasons why uh, this is required and forbidden in the eighth commandment in the following two weeks so remember this commitment thou shalt not steal allow me brothers and sisters to pray for us as we go into a time of song let's bow our heads in prayer good and gracious God we thank you so much for this day we thank you father for the gathering of your people both here in this church and in many local communities across the world on this Lord's Day as we worship You, as we gather together to sing songs, as we gather together to lift prayers, as we gather together to read from Your Word, uh, to learn and gain from it, to be convicted by its truth, we ask, O God, that You would be with us this time to just uh, help us, O Lord, to perceive, to understand, to receive that which is so good for our souls. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came, who died, and rose. We thank you for uh, the gift of grace and mercy upon our lives that are so undeserving of these things. We thank you, and we ask, O Lord, that in our hearts we would have humility and gratitude for the goodness that you bestowed to us. We thank you. We lift all praise to you, all glory to you. pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Our worship team will lead us in a time of song.
1: hearts. Um, we pray for just a transformation in our hearts that only the Spirit can um, give us. And Lord, we just pray that our desires would be aligned to you, God. For right now, we just confess that um, in our sinful states, Lord, uh, we don't desire the things that you desire for us. Um, and we just pray that the Spirit would be at work um, through the Word, through the Bible, this time of worship lord um, help us to just really align our desires to god um, and we pray for uh, max um, in his preaching as well um, give him the wisdom lord um, and help us to um, all just also discern the word together and just uh, we trust in the spirit um, to teach us and guide us um, in wisdom today so Yeah, we pray um, in thankfulness for this uh, place to worship, this opportunity to worship you, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.
0: Uh, if you could hit the lights when you get a chance. Brothers and sisters, welcome once again to today's service. It's good to see all of you. We're continuing our sermon series in the book of Malachi. So if you have a Bible, please open it to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 13 to 18 of this third chapter. Um, I didn't even talk to Joy, but I'm really glad she chose these. Uh, the first song, He Will Hold Me Fast. It's going to tie nicely into what we're teaching today malachi 3 verses 13 to 18 if you have a bible please open it up to our passage today i'll be reading from my bible and you can follow in yours this is the word of god malachi 3 13 to 18 your words have been arrogant against me says the lord yet you say what have we spoken against you you've said it is vain to serve god and what profit is it that we have kept his charge, and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Amen. This is the word of God. Before we go to the time of our preaching, I'd like to pray for an unreached people group of the day. They come from Montenegro. They're called the Balkan Egyptians. Um, there are about 2,000 of these people living in Montenegro today. Uh, none are Christian; they're all Muslim. So we like to pray for them. Of course, we have been doing for many years now. Uh, many, many different people groups. It's sad that in the many years we've been praying for unreached people groups, not one has reappeared. Right. So every week, for many years, we've been praying for a different people group that is unreached. So praying for of course missional efforts in Montenegro, for these people, the Balkan, Egyptians and I'd also like to pray f- uh, today for our students who are returning to school um, you know why you need prayer, right? School's come, <laughs> so I'm sure some of you have already started um, some of our master's students have started last week so i uh, got a chance to talk to them and um, they're definitely not enthusiastic about being back in school but it is a necessary evil of the world we live in so we are uh, definitely praying for your efforts and hoping for a great graduate those by the way those of you who graduated this summer and or past april we never got to congratulate you so we will do that too um definitely praying for our students so let's pray and we'll go into time the word heavenly father we thank you so much we pray for the balkan egyptians of montenegro we ask O lord that by your grace uh that you uh would um, allow for them to, by means that only you have ordained and know, um, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, our heart breaks out for them, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would have show mercy in um, having some, if not many of them, respond in faith to the good news of Jesus. That there would be churches here, that there would be people uh, who worship you and who adore you, and dedicate their lives in following you in your ways. Heavenly Father, we also pray uh, for our students who are returning to school this week. I'm sure it was a wonderful summer for all of them, and you know it's definitely not pleasant uh, going back to our educational institutions, but uh, I hope that they would glean much from it, not just the education that they receive, um, but that they would glean the experiences they would, the wisdom, um, the friends that they make, the different opportunities that come their way, uh, especially opportunities to share their faith with those in their classrooms, opportunities uh, to engage people with spiritual conversations and uh, and really talk to them about uh, Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that you be with them in their studies, that they would be tireless and that they would be hardworking, um, that, that our students here would be dedicated uh to these things dedicated to learning and growing but and excelling and doing their best but also most importantly dedicated to christ wherever they may be found we pray for today's sermon and the word we ask O lord that it would be a good word unto us this day that our eyes and ears would be opened by the holy spirit to perceive and understand the truth of your text as it was meant to be we pray all this in your name amen Today's sermon is entitled, The Wicked and the Righteous. It's a very clear dichotomy that exists in the text for us, especially at the very end of today's passage. At the end of Malachi 2, a couple weeks ago, when we observed the ending of the second chapter, we observed these words of the Israelites towards God. You can see it in your own Bible. It reads, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. This was, of course, the accusation against God made by the Israelites, saying, Hey, there's evildoers, and you seem to be blessing them and not blessing us. And there's, of course, a tone of complaint in that statement. In our study of that passage a few weeks ago, we discussed the human nature or tendency in our fallen world, in our fallen state, to compare our lives with others and see very clearly what we don't have in comparison to them. Of course, we're talking about people who are doing better than us, right? As Christians, we look to the sacrifice of our lives, that go unnoticed, of course, and think that some earthly reward is due on God's end because, well, the secular world around us seems to be flourishing in its indulgence in sin. So they sin, and they're rewarded with earthly blessing. I try to repent and turn away from sin and sacrifice these things that bring so much joy into life, and I don't get rewarded. It seems like I'm suffering more because of it. We look to the wicked, compare... And at times conclude that a life in God is not worth it at all. If all this life will yield is a life lesser than those not in God. That reveals that that person is in fact, of course, not looking at God as the price itself. but rather using God as a means for the reward that they truly want and seek. If in marriage, your prize was not your partner, but rather, let's say, the tax benefits, the car that they own, the paycheck that they make, uh, or even simply the access to emotional and physical affection, well, then your marriage is really founded and centered on the wrong things, I think. The prize of your marriage is your partner, one with whom you will become one flesh and share in all things. Brothers and sisters, God is not your lottery ticket to a better life now. He is the Savior through whom you will be given a best life to come. And that best life to come is an everlasting life with Him. That's the prize. God is your prize, if you will. A life without God is no life at all. What we observe here in the Israelites is a mirror reflection of our own state at times. Our own mentalities, even as churchgoers and believers. A religious group, that dedicated itself. You know, strictly to, to religious acts, if you will, but totally for the wrong reasons. And when their desired outcomes were not realized, I did this, but this did not happen. They were ready to abandon ship. Their only rational conclusion, of course, being that God simply wasn't worth it. But we are taught here that those who remain faithful will be recipients of a far greater reward than any so-called blessed earthly life could possibly give to you. Let us then look to today's text and examine its teaching. So two simple points to today's passage. It's the dichotomy of the text itself. It's firstly the wicked, verses 13 to 15, and then the righteous. They will contrast each other, if you will. The wicked and the righteous. Let's first look at verses 13 to 15 and examine the wicked. The accusation is immediate and harsh to the wicked and the proud, which I think is pretty clear in the text, is the majority of this Israelite group. Malachi speaks on behalf of God his rebuke of them being that their words have been arrogant against God What does this mean? It means that their attitude and posture are self-centered, right? It's totally centered on the self-interest of one One's own well-being. Thus what they speak and and how they speak to and of God is rooted in pure arrogance our modern dictionaries define arrogance in this way an attitude of superiority Manifested in an overbearing manner Or in presumptuous claims or assumptions Sounds exactly like what's going on here They're so arrogant in fact That when it's addressed to them They ask As they've been doing this whole time Throughout Malachi What is it That they have said that is so wrong Right They're told what they've done wrong And they're like Well what's so wrong What did I do How did I do that The proud are so quick to defend themselves, are they not? For admittance of guilt would mean shame, and shame would mean a loss of reason to be proud. I'm sure we all know that one friend or one person in our lives, sometimes it's a family member, who cannot see themselves in true light. They're totally blinded. They're so quick to point out the faults of others. He, she, they, them, finger pointing, pointing out all the faults of everyone around them. But of course their mouths are so silent on matters regarding themselves. Proverbs 18.12 Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, arrogant, but humility, humility goes before honor. What does that text teach then? It teaches this, to be respected, one must first be humble. This, however, was not the heart and mind of Israel. Their haughtiness and arrogance drove them to see themselves as deserving. Blessedness. They saw no profit in serving God No reason worth serving and following God Brothers and sisters Oh how powerful arrogance is To blind us from the truth They saw suffering and loss As signs of a God not worth their effort And verse 15 shows us The ultimate damage or ruin That came upon them what is that ruin? It's envy of the wicked world around them. Their eyes began to sink deeper towards the ungodly. For there, in the ungodly world around them, they saw profit. That's an incredible, incredible teaching for us and warning for us to be cautious. For if you find yourself looking at the world around you And envying it You might be sinking deeper and deeper Towards the ungodly As we see Israel doing here today Brothers and sisters I warn you Do not see profit in the world around you There is nothing to gain from it It's not to say like live in poverty Like you know Like don't try I remember a long time ago, like, whatever, I heard sermons like these. I will go, oh, should I quit school then? Like, should I just, like, live for Je- Let's go to, like, a mission field, live in Africa in some tribe, and praise Jesus, right? Please don't do that if you're not good at that. Um, no, you're not all called to be, like, you know, <laughs> like missionaries across the world. But where you are, do your best. If you're a student, study hard. If you're in a workplace, work hard. Do your best. Make the money you can, right? Don't slack, right? Don't be lazy. It's not the teaching, but it's, not, it's also to caution you in this. In doing so, in working hard, in studying hard, in doing your best, remember, the gain you have in this world is no gain at all. For the Bible is clear, Paul's cries, of course, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Life is a gift and everything in it, so do your best in it. But remember where our destination is. Where we want to be at the end of course is with Christ do not forget that John McKay our commentator on Malachi writes this again the people were reacting to unfavorable circumstances not by questioning what was wrong with themselves but by complaining against God the dominant motive in their lives was personal material advantage I was reading this text this week and I'm a big NBA fan big basketball fan. You don't have to know basketball, but I'm sure everyone on planet Earth, minus maybe like some people in some parts of the world, uh, know Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan is like the thing, right? Like the greatest of all time. If you are a LeBron fan, I'm sorry, you're wrong. LeBron is not the GOAT. He is like a lamb. Okay, so Michael Jordan, the GOAT, right? Greatest of all time. He didn't win like he had amazing statistics for many 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 years like just racking up stats right rookie year He was averaging 30 plus points like these unbelievable statistics You would just go like this guy's a freak, but he wasn't winning wasn't winning playoff games wasn't winning championships You know when he started winning when he started to realize I need the other four guys on my team to help me Right, so if you ever watched like the last dance, which is like when you were in COVID lockdown Everyone was watching (laughs) last dance, right? If you watch that documentary, there's this part of the documentary where it talks about this very specifically where he realized like, like coaches were getting fired because they weren't like, you know, appealing to him and like, you know, doing everything that he wanted, like other players, like he was just demanding the ball. Like he, he just thought he could, he could do it himself. But until he realized humility was required that I could trust in the person next to me. That's when you see the dominance of dominance of winning, not just the dominance of statistics. This is how much of basketball is an idol in my life. It's like consuming me. Every time I read scripture, I just think of Michael Jordan for some reason. It's bad. I got to repent of it. Um, But it reminded me of that, that every athlete and every person trying to achieve anything in life, right, ultimately does at a certain point have to humble themselves and say, I do need other people to help me, right? The arrogant and the proud They're looking at God As a means to get what they want to Get what they They think they deserve Right and it's just complete blindness To the truth and reality Of their lives And until they're humbled They cannot achieve True greatness If you will And then we see of course Contrasted to the wicked The righteous In verses 16 to 18 It's very easy In these verses And even in um, In the times of Malachi and times today that we live in in 2022 especially here in North America and especially in a incredible metropolis like Toronto to observe the state of the church in this city and in this country around us Richard and I always complain about the church right and we see the world around us we see the church's state, and we see where this world and country are headed and it's easy to conclude with our human minds there is no future hope it's hopeless. It's a hopeless situation. Church is dying. No one wants to go to church. No one wants to live it out. We live in an ever increasingly secularizing world, especially here in Canada, continuously diminishing church. Math will tell you very simply, and if the math doesn't make sense to you, just ask Victoria, that the church is dying. Right? More people leaving than people coming in. But Scripture doesn't promise an ever-growing and prospering church in your perspective, that the stats will always be positive. Every year, oh, increase in church attendance. Increase in church attendance. That's not the promise of Scripture. There will be seasons of that, surely. But what is promised to us? Matthew sixteen, eighteen. I also say to you that you are peer upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Joel two, thirty-two, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Romans 11:5. 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. On and on and on and on and on. Passage after passage that directs you to the teaching of the church, God's people, this royal priesthood will be preserved. We see a church that will be eternally preserved by God, not overcome people of God whom the Lord has called a remnant chosen by grace. We know in Revelation that everything will end with the church being taken by Christ. He will be the church's bridegroom. This final eternal matrimony. How could such an event take place if no church exists on that final day? What God established as his instrument and institution for his works in this earth Will be kept by that very same God. We have no reason, brothers and sisters, to question the church's continual existence. The Canadian church might die. I think Richard and I would argue it seems like it will die, right? But the church will not. The church will not. We can be sure of that. We have no reason. To fear that at all and so we see here in the text that amidst the social cloud of wicked people who are on the brink of turning away from God that there were yet still those who feared the Lord right in verse 16 and they spoke to one another one can only imagine that those conversations or what those conversations might have been like we then see kingly language appear here again in reference to God as a record of these people are to be kept in a book of remembrance. Such chronicles were common for earthly kings to keep in regard to their kingship. They're kind of like autobiographies of their kingliness. But here, the king of all kings keeps record of his own people too. And then we see perhaps one of the most comforting words one could hear as a faithful pursuer of righteousness. As God says, they will be mine. They will be mine. There is no doubt, brothers and sisters, to me, that in those words there is no room for any other possibility. They will be his. There is but one reality: the righteous will be God's. They will be they will thus be spared on the judgment day. And in sparing them, a distinguishing will be made between the righteous and the wicked. There's no gray lines to that distinction. There are no, none who will stand in the middle, one foot on this side, one foot on the other. There will be none who have any reason to not be judged. All will be judged, either as one who is righteous or as one who is wicked. There can only be one of two outcomes for all of humanity. I believe this final section of chapter 3, speaking of the righteous, serves to act as a warning message to the wicked. The arrogant and proud who are questioning why they ought to serve God if it doesn't benefit me now, they, are, uh, they remind me of those who Jesus spoke of in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The men who will cry out, Lord, Lord, look, we cast out demons and healed people and claim the things that they've done for God, yet be met with this harsh reality. Then instead of hearing the words, You are mine, God says, I never knew you. They were never known by God. That's a warning to us today, too, as Christians, that our deeds amount to nothing if it is apart from faith in Christ. A faith that is so rooted, it changes the very nature of our desires. To shift them from desire for things below to things above. A faith that drives us to love God wholly. Not all actions are the same. Doing the same thing. But in love is a totally different act Ask any married couple here well, Actually, there's only one married couple here, but soon to be more right ask them very simple question I remember when I was a kid, like my mom would always like tell me to um, Do chores in the house and I would like begrudgingly do it like I should have done it like out of like, you know Oh, yeah, my parents fed me clothed me all these things. I wasn't an adult So I didn't have like the capacity to understand these things. But anyways I would do them, like, very begrudgingly, like, oh, like, oh, I gotta, I gotta mow this stupid lawn, right? And I would do it, but I would just have this, like, hatred in my heart, right? Later I grew up, and I realized, oh my goodness, like, these people cared for me from birth. Like, took care of me so I could grow to be the person I, ante- like, literally fed me, like, sacrificed so much so that I could have this very... This life that I complain about but still like a life to live on this earth and have opportunity and have chance and have all these things. So all of a sudden the mowing of the lawn became a very joyous act. It's the same act with a completely different fundamental understanding in my heart. I imagine the wicked and the righteous in the text were all offering the same offerings. We're doing all the same things. And you can imagine Just like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. What was in the heart of the people when they were doing them. It's the same act. Or sorry, it's not the same act. It's totally different. The holes are mysteries to the Israelites that would have been uh, apparent to them, I think, or like to some degree, to some of them, if you will. The holes are mysteries to the Israelites would have been in this text, in this rebuke, how this judgment Of the righteous and the wicked would take place, and on what grounds? It's not mentioned to them here. Language here could have suggested to some of them that it is genuine serving of God, doing things that are in service of God, that will lead to salvation in God, right? But of course, as those with the benefit of the New Testament, the whole counsel of God's word, we know that on that day when God claims His own, that the sparing of the righteous will be done on the grounds on nothing they have done and nothing that they have accomplished in their lives, but solely on the basis of everything that Christ has done, everything Christ has accomplished in His life, namely His death on the cross and taking on, his, on God's wrath, the very thing we deserve, but that the righteous shall be spared from. the Distinguishing of people will not be done on some moral scale of who has done better than others. Like other religions may claim, but rather the objective fact of faith or absence of faith in one's own heart. The righteous brothers and sisters are not wholly righteous, we know that, we are not righteous people, but we will be deemed as such by the imputed righteousness of Christ upon us. If you need biblical evidence, 2nd Corinthians 5 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Philippians 3.9 Be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Finally, Romans 4.5 And to the one who does not work but believes in Him, who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. So in conclusion, let me... Allow me to read to you another quote from John McKay's commentary on Malachi. He writes, It is not a matter of salvation by works, as if their good standing with God were achieved by their own efforts He's talking about the righteous, at keeping the demands of the covenant. On the contrary, their conduct, listen carefully, is the evidence that they understand and appreciate all that God has done for them. Their obedience is an index of their indebtedness to Him for salvation. And their love for Him reveals itself in serving Him with all their heart and soul. So I was reading the text this week. I was meditating on the text, thinking through it, reading it over and over. I was constantly reminded of just Christians of the past. Believers of the past who went through so much more than us, right? Like life or death situations. Like the persecution we face is very different from the persecution faced prior. So we could have this kind of gathering today. You might be familiar with the hymn, No Turning Back. Calvinists hate this hymn for some reason. They just they just think it's all about, oh, it's a decision hymn. Decided is a trigger word, right? Um... Sure, I can agree or disagree on that, but I like the hymn. It sounds nice. Here's some of the lyrics from this hymn. It reads, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. It's really sad that this these lyrics are now made famous by Hillsong. But anyways, here's the story of this song. Some call it a myth. Some call it history whichever way you take it I think it's an interesting story I'm just going to read an excerpt from uh, I have a book of like Christian martyrs just, just, let, let, me, let me read a treat. about 150 years ago there was a great revival in Wales as a result of this many missionaries came to northeast India to spread the gospel the region known as Assam was comprised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters into these hostile and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist Missions spreading the message of love, peace, and hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One missionary succeeded in converting a man, just one, his wife and two children. This man's faith proved contagious, and many villagers began to receive Christ. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Enraged at the refusal of the man The chief ordered his archers To arrow down his two children As both boys lay twitching on the floor The chief asked Will you deny your faith You've lost both your children You will lose your wife too The man replied Cross before me The world behind me I will still follow Jesus the chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed down. In the moment she joined her two children in death and he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. And in the face of death, the man said the final uh, memorable lines, one more time, the cross before me, the world behind me, he was shot down and killed. Now the story goes, again, is it myth? We have no way of knowing. But the story goes that this chief was so disturbed by the faith of this man, he too later became a Christian, along with many in the tribe. You guys do the fact check. Do not let suffering and sacrifice, brothers and sisters, in this world be your detriment. Do not let earthly things have a hold on you. Don't let the earth have grip on your heart. Certainly enjoy this life that God has gifted to you. Enjoy its blessings. Enjoy the common grace. Enjoy the things you can enjoy. That's not it's not a sin to enjoy these things, right? Well, some things are sinful. But like, enjoy the good things in life, okay? But don't love these things more than God. For when you are before him one day, you'll be ashamed that you ever loved anything more than total beauty total perfection there's not a thing on this earth that is not fleeting it will all pass away so let's set our sights on God don't let these things bring you down for you have a God who will complete his work in you I love how Joy chose this hymn because the last words of my sermon he will hold you fast Let's pray and reflect on what we have learned today.
1: For the offering, uh, Father, um, it's a very challenging message, um, and we just ask that if there's anything that we're just holding on to by thread, um, even the tiniest bit, uh, the tiniest sin that we think is just totally okay, Lord. Um, help us to give that to you, Lord, to um, give it to you to uh, transform our hearts and just convict us to um, just run away from our sin and just. Um, truly believe in your uh, redeeming work in us and um yeah change our hearts lord uh, for you're the only one that can um and we just pray that this uh, sermon wouldn't just be um wishful thoughts but that we would uh, truly take steps of obedience and um entrust this process to you god um we also pray for the offering lord um help us to give joyfully and um also just knowing um our place before you God that these things are not our own um, but that you have entrusted these things to us um, to be stewards um, of your grace your provision um, help us to give these to you as an act of worship um, relenting and um, yeah we thank you um, for just the ways you've taught us and um, your are sustaining um, your grace on this community um, and in our lives and we pray all this in Jesus name amen
2: Thank you.
0: Okay, announcement time as we conclude today's service, and then uh, we'll have some lunch fellowship. So please join us for that. Um, <clears throat> first and foremost, welcome. If it's your first time at Sheepgate, we, um, with open arms, welcome you, and we hope to get to know you a little bit more today. Um, and please join us for lunch so we can definitely converse with you and get to know you. Welcome back to all of our regular members. Um, our offering can be sent in two ways. One, uh, via e-transfer to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com or good old offering basket. <laughs> so it is here, uh, envelopes on the side. Uh, we do issue uh, charitable tax, tax donation receipts at the end of the year so please make sure you put your name at least so I can get the important information later. But if you are giving, whichever way, please make note of that. If you're giving online, um, just in the notes section, if you want to give towards our either a campus, like local missionaries and or our um, abroad to Asia Minor, we're supporting two missionaries, two missionaries abroad, two missionaries local. Uh, if you'd like to give to those causes, just make sure you allocate or note in the bottom how much you would like to do for those things. Um, all of our recordings can be found online. So YouTube or any podcast platform can find our audio recordings and video recordings. Uh, our Bible study or I guess our confession study we are continuing this afternoon following lunch we will look at chapter 3 Right, so we just finished chapter 2 we're now looking into chapter 3 so please join us for that if you can our uh, discipleship groups run on a monthly basis our men and women meet separately so if you'd like to get plugged in and you'd like to join us we just had a fantastic meeting at Andrew's house and we couldn't invite everyone so apologies for that but the next one We'd love to invite you. Especially the men. Men, we're doing something fun this month. So, like, you guys can all come out. Um, We have a bunch of travelers who are, like, just scattered across Earth. Actually, it's, like, mainly Europe. Um, (laughs) So, we still have uh, the Lees, like, Honey and Esther in Europe. Ivy's there now. Ivy's birthday is today. So, if you uh, you can wish her happy birthday, you can do that. She's in Portugal. She's, like, living it up. It's apparently super fun. So, that's that. And I think Alex? Alex Moon, is he back? Or is he... Is he like in Korea still? I have no idea. But um, hopefully uh, we'll get to see him soon. Uh, We are still uh, very much uh, in search and in prayer for a church building. A more permanent location. At least for the, I guess, hopefully long term. Uh, So please pray for that. Um, It's a pretty rigorous process. Our real estate agent is doing his best. Uh, But yeah, when opportunity arises, I'll let you know um on some of those options our summer bible study has ended oh man so sad right um so our summer bible study just ended this last week if you didn't get to attend your loss um (laughs) but um we are thinking or at least i'm thinking of maybe i'm gonna take a hold i'm gonna take a pause for this month because I do have to get married i have so many things to do so i'm gonna pause for september uh, I also want students to like, focus on, you know, establishing themselves in school and getting, getting on a good groove, right? right? No excuses, like Thursday nights, can't do whatever. Um, anyways, uh, we might continue this sometime in October, so we'll let you know. Uh, so pause on that. We just, we're in John 4, which is not a lot, but that is us, right? We like to talk a lot about the Bible, so anyways, we will continue that when it's appropriate. Um, students, I did promise you a free meal. Uh, but it's gonna be impossible after talking with everyone to gather all of you in the same like location because we literally have students in Kingston like like and then the opposite end like Hamilton right? so it's like it' just, I just don't it's I don't think it's feasible. So instead, uh, what I'm gonna do is again after I get married, in October, I will visit your campus so I will go to you and we will like, geographically lo- like have lunch or dinner right so I'll go to Hamilton and all of you come out I'll go to Kingston all of you come out etc right so that way and Eric I'll go downtown don't worry like, I'll, go, I'll, go, I'll, go, I'll go downtown Toronto Yeah. Um, so we'll do that we'll do like a Toronto Hamilton Kingston whatever city right thing and we'll just we'll do it that way because I think that's going to be the easiest way to do it and bonus those of you who graduated this calendar year we will also award you a dinner so if you graduate this year, we'd like to give you a little prize as well. Oh, not a prize. Actually, it is a prize. Good for you. You finished school. Um, uh, a little gift on uh, from the church's side. we like to gift our graduating class. Um, so if you did graduate this calendar year, we'd like to give you something. Now, if you graduated during COVID and you didn't get anything, too bad for you, right? So Mikey, you don't get anything. Um, your reward is in heaven. And that is that okay um let's rise for the lord's prayer and end off for today let's pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us lead us not into temptation deliver us from evil is the kingdom power and glory forever and ever Amen. Thank you everyone. If we can get some helping hands today, uh, we need to